Welcome to the Grace Long Beach Podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Matthew 5, 1 through 16. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up a mountain. He sat down, and his disciples came to him. He taught them, saying, Happy are people who are hopeless, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve, because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble, because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, because they will be fed until they are full. Happy are people who show mercy, because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts, because they will see God. Happy are people who make peace, because they will be called God's children. Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you, all because of me. Be full of joy and be glad, because you have a great reward in heaven. In the same way, people harass the prophets who came before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on the top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on a lampstand, and it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated while kids are dismissed to King's Quest. My name's Daniel Long. I'm a pastor here at Grace. Um, I'd like to pray before we get into uh, God's word this morning. So pray with me. God, you are one who wants to speak. Help us to have ears to hear. Help us to be open to what you have for us and what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I had a great picture yesterday of, um, I, don't, I don't know how many of you are new, but I just want to give you a little flavor of what our community is like. So yesterday, uh, Sue Sadler, who's been here for a very long time, who's worked in, in the children's ministry, she had a 50th birthday party. And what she decided to do was throw a party for kids. All the kids who have like gone through her ministry, she said, come on over. I want to have a party for you. There was like, I don't know, bounce houses and all these things. There was a, a clown show. Um, it was just incredible. And I thought, who does this? Because when I have a birthday, I get babysitting. Um, and, but it just reminded me of just the incredible type of people who are here, people who want to love, 
people who think outside of themselves. And I was just so grateful to be a part of that with so many of you, just thinking like, man, this, these are the type of people who are here. So if this is your first time, I, I hope that you get a sense of who we are this morning, because um, it, this community, this family is made up of people like Sue Sadler. Um, so last week, we did what's called the before and after service, where we kind of looked about, look back, who are we, who have we become, um, and, and we took some time kind of like honestly confessing. But one of the key moments in that service was to kind of pivot and to, to think about, to imagine, who might God want to make us into? What type of people do we want to become? And if you look to your left and right, um, these trees with these uh, fruit papers um, and things written on them reflect what so many of you said you would like to see us become. And what I love about this is, as I don't know if you get this sense, and actually Sue said it to me yesterday, she said, I, I feel like there's something happening here in our community. There's like a shift going on. Um, and it's, it's kind of hard to describe, but I've really experienced that. I've really seen that, that, that God has been up to something, and there's kind of like this, this pivot. And I don't know what God's going to do with that. I don't know if you sense it, but it's just something that I see and something I've experienced. Ana Sanchez, in our time of praying this morning, she had this image that she shared with all of us, almost something like a, like a ground of soil and little, little flowers, little things kind of just peeking through the soil. And I think, yeah, that's right. That's what it kind of feels like among us. That there, there, there's something going on that God is, is up to something, growing something, and what a great thing to be part of. So as we kind of think about who we want to become, we're actually entering into a new series in which we, I just thought, well, let's make it easy, called Becoming. Um, and and what, what I've kind of thought about is that, that there are certain things, certain postures that might make possible these things that we would imagine or hope God would do. And those, the four things are humility, trust, hope, and joy. That these are actually postures that would allow us to be open to the work of God, to the fresh work of God, to things that He might want to do. And this idea of becoming, I think, is so central and important. Because before we can do anything, it's about who we are. And who we are is the church, and God has brought us together and that's why I had the Sermon on the Mount, or at least the beginning of it, read, because what Jesus seems so concerned with is the character of the type of people that are gathered around Jesus, their disposition, their orientation to him. So it's so significant who we are becoming. So I prayed last November about our community, and these four words came to mind. I was thinking, oh, I'd love to have our community look like this, our family look like this, defined by humility, trust, hope, and joy. And then, and then I forgot. I prayed for like a month. I forgot about it. Um, and, and, and then it kind of came back around as we've kind of come through the last nine months. And this spring, the four words came to mind again. But this time, I was so convicted because I felt like I was, a, it was at an arm's length. I was praying for all of you <laughs> that, that this would kind of define you and not considering how God might want to work in my life kind of around these, these ideas, these characteristics. So I began to pray um, that I would be a person 
marked by humility, trust, hope, and joy. Now, if you don't, like, I wouldn't suggest praying for things um, because God will start to do things uh, in your life that will then kind of shape you into the, to the things that you're praying for. And, and I don't know about you, but like when you start to pray for things like humility, chances are there are going to be opportunities for you to be humiliated. Um, if, if, if you start praying for things like trust, all of a sudden you're going to be exposed to all the different ways that you fear. Um, when you start praying for hope, you realize, man, I feel like I am a person who can kind of lean into some despair. And when you start to pray for things like joy, you kind of begin to discover how cynical you are. Um, And so as I've been praying and thinking about this, I thought it would be fun and good for us to explore these four things together as a family. And so there's going to be a, a series of sermons over the next eight weeks or so, eight sermons around these things. And so each week, um, we're going to, or every two weeks, we're going to look at one of these. Because I think given that they're postures, each of these kind of has like a vertical and a horizontal dimension. So what do I mean by that? I mean that humility, there's actually like an orientation to, to our being with God. That humility actually kind of alters or impacts the way we, we relate to God. But it also impacts the way we relate to one another. And so this week, we're going to look at humility in reference to God. And next week, Eric Marsh is actually going to come and he's going to preach on, on humility as it's connected to our being with others. And that's going to be the same for every single one of these. And I guess my, why I'm saying any of this is to give you a glimpse into what we're going to be doing, but also to pray. To be praying that, that God would instill within us these, these postures so that we would be people who are open to the fresh work of God and what he might want to do in all of these things that we've imagined and dreamed about. I mean, what an incredible thing. If we were a community who was marked by humility instead of pride and arrogance, by trust instead of certainty and fear, by hope instead of despair and resignation, and by joy instead of cynicism and apathy, then I think we would be salt of the earth and light of the world. Because as I think about these four words, it's hard to see a lot of these in our culture and in the places where we are and in the people around us. So humility. Let's start there. So what I want to do is kind of talk on a large-scale basis of humility in the Bible and how it impacts our connection or at least our relating to God. And so I'm actually not going to land in a specific text and kind of go through a text, but just maybe talk about like a biblical vision of what humility is. Because if you look at all at humility, you can't go far without seeing that it's so central actually into all, in, in terms of how we interact with God. If you look in the Proverbs, there is so much that the Proverbs have to say about humility versus pride. And I'm just going to read a few, a few verses. So Proverbs 3.34 says this, Toward the scorners, he, God, is scornful. But to the humble, he gives favor. Proverbs 16, verses 5 and 18. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. 
Proverbs 22.4 says this, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Proverbs 11.2, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. And the New Testament, Jesus himself picks up on this. You know, there's this moment in the Gospels when his disciples, his friends, who were supposed to know and get it, are saying, okay, Jesus, honestly, like when it's all said and done, can, can, I, can I just sit on your right hand and this guy, can he sit on your left? Because uh, we want to be close. We want to kind of have this, this seat of power. And Jesus responds, and he says this, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. James 4, 1 Peter 5 said, God God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And why is this so? Because Jesus himself was the epitome of humility. It says in Philippians 2 that Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a man. That Jesus, this high place of glory, emptied himself by taking the form of a man of a man, that somehow humility is so deeply connected to our ability to be open to the work of God in our lives. And why is that? Why is humility so central to our openness to God? Because I think humility is actually connected to a right understanding of oneself. Humility is connected to a right understanding of oneself, especially in reference to who God is and how we're made. And here's what I mean by that. Have you guys ever seen the movie, There Will Be Blood? I think it's actually going to go down as one of the greatest films ever made. And I'm not even being hyperbolic. I think that's true. But the thing about There Will Be Blood is there's this guy named Daniel Plainview. And in the beginning of this movie, it's completely silent, and he hurts his leg, and he's down, and he crawls himself up. This is the beginning of the film. He crawls himself up and to a place where he can actually get help and care. Miles upon miles. He can't walk. He's just crawling. We get this image of a man whose tenacity is so strong that you get this glimpse of who this person is going to be for the rest of the film. Now, if you've seen the film, you know that that Daniel Plainview is is actually uh, concerned with making all this money through oil. And he comes in contact with this religious figure named Eli Sunday. And Eli is actually beginning to kind of want this desire for power. And they kind of go at odds, which seems like this, this consumerist-driven person with this spiritual person, and, and they just can't stop fighting. They can't stop being at odds with one another because what they want so deeply is control. And when a person wants control and power so bad, it can go no other place than to a point where there will be blood. What I think is so fascinating about these two characters is it actually presents a picture of what happens when we have a distorted sense of self. So humility, in reference to God, is so deeply connected, so deeply connected to Genesis. And our people are as being people who are created by God. Now, if you want to understand what it means to be humble, at least in the biblical picture, We need to recognize that we are created beings. And this is actually one of the reasons why humility and pride are so at odds in the Bible. Because one who is pride and arrogant has a distorted view of self, 
one who is humble has an accurate understanding of oneself. This is why in, this, in, in the Bible, you, you get verses like this, Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's this right understanding of oneself in reference to God. That's what it means to be humble. And that's why it's so deeply connected to being open to God's work in your life. Because you're, if you're pride, if you're prideful and you're arrogant, if you think that you are the one who's created your life, then there's actually closing off to God's work and what he wants to do. Because you are not seeing yourself as a person who needs to be given life, sustained by God. That's why as we have the, the Beatitudes read, I mean, there's this sense, right, of need. There's this sense of utter desperation in terms of the people whom God is going to bless. I'm just going to read those again. Blessed are the, this is the ESV. What was read was the Common English Bible. So it's going to be a little bit different than what you heard. Matthew 5. Bless, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There's this thread running through this be- the Beatitudes of need, of incredible sense of, of just being people who need God to work in their life. Poor in spirit, meek, hunger and thirst. So humility is so deeply connected to our understanding of being people who are created, which means that it's an under- connected to our understanding of being people who are limited. See, if our humility, our idea of humility is connected to being created, then it means being so in tune with our limitations. Who likes to be limited? Raise your hand. I don't. I actually can't stand it. I've spent a lot of money. Um, to, to not be limited. Uh, and usually it has an apple sign on it. Um, and <clears throat> but humility is so connected to this reality that we are actually limited creatures. And I'm actually deeply grateful to one of our, I don't know if he's here, but Jason Bear, who's here, he's done a lot of incredible work <clears throat> on humility and its connection to limitations, and he and I had a wonderful conversation just kind of exploring all of these things. Because when you start to realize that you are a limited human being, or when you start to realize that you're a created human being, then you have to recognize that you're also limited, that you have limitations. What's really fascinating to me is that we live in a culture in which we try to rise above or transcend any sort of limitation that we have. Because there's not enough time, we sleep very few hours. That's true of me. Or because we need to be connected all the time, we we have our gadgets and our things to keep us connected. 
We don't have money to spend, and so we actually take out lines of credit so that we can have what we want. I mean, there's just so many different things. If you look at our culture, even, even our country, all over the place, we don't want to be limited. We don't want to actually be a people in need, so we need to go and we need to devour and we need to do all these things. You see, once you have a distorted view of self and you think you can transcend all of these different limitations, you become characters like Daniel Plainview and Eli Sunday and There Will Be Blood, well, you end up becoming a person who coerces and manipulates, a person who is bent on actually gaining and controlling and acquiring. But see, limitations aren't something to be kind of avoided. Perhaps, because we are created beings, our limitations are a way to encounter God afresh. Have you ever considered that your limitations as a human being, as a person, in whatever way you are limited, can be a way for you to encounter God? Or are your limitations something that you try to avoid at all cost to yourself, your family, the people around you? But what if your limitations are actually a way to discover God in your life? Now, as I've been thinking about this and praying through this, What's come, what's like flown in my face are three ways I feel like I've discovered pretty remarkably my own limitations, and I want to share them with you because I want to be all vulnerable and stuff. So, um, and, and the reason I share these is because I think that they're actually also important for us as a community. As we think about ourselves as a family, I think it would do us well to consider the ways that we, that you as individuals, that we as a family, are limited. Because understanding and owning and recognizing those limitations might actually be the way that we will discover and encounter God afresh. And so these three things, and you can go ahead and put up that slide. Actually, no. Here's a question that I think you should consider. Um, how might God want to meet you in your limitations? So I want you to kind of, if you have things to write it down with, write that down. Um, or you can, if you can remember it, how might God want to meet you in your limitations? Because I'm going to describe mine um, and then uh, talk about how I think they connect to us as a community. So here are three ways that I feel like I've discovered my own limitations. And this is recently. Um, I've discovered that I am extremely spiritually limited. For some of you who are like, my wife, of course. Um, but uh, So spiritual limitations, what do I mean by this? I mean that, like, that I am an imperfect person on a journey with God. But I think that often I can get in kind of this cycle of trying to be, or at least trying to to exhibit a certain type of spiritual, um, what's the word? I don't know. I'm further along in the spiritual journey than I actually am. And, and I don't know how that plays out so much except for, for this, that, that I don't think I own up to the ways that, that I'm often, like, broken. The, the ways that I'm often, like, just needing to be to be aware and to be bringing before God and others that there's a real spiritual limitation to myself. But often I think one of the reasons why I don't 
at least confront those or consider those is because it, it connects with a deep sense of shame. I should be further along than I actually am. I shouldn't have these doubts about who God is and what he's up to and about my faith and his activity in the world. Shouldn't I be beyond that? So instead of actually engaging that, instead of being honest with my limitations as a person who, who wants to be in, in relationship to God, I begin to be a person who simply lives with those, and you can start to kind of decay a little bit inside because you're not able to be yourself. So I've discovered that I'm spiritually limited, and I wonder for, for you if that's true. How do you feel spiritually limited? Do you feel as if you are where you'd like to be in this thing called the Christian life? Or do you wish you were way further than you are? And does that produce for you a sense of shame? But here is where, again, I think our limitations and our humility can help us discover afresh God in our lives, owning our spiritual limitations is the place where I think we experience the grace of God. If we are able to own our limitations spiritually, if we have the trust that owning those by naming them, by confessing them, that God will meet us there, then imagine the type of people we would be if our community, our family was marked by people who just knew we were limited spiritually and we need God's grace. This is why, if you look in the New Testament, if you look at the words of Jesus, you see things like, I didn't come for those who are healthy, I came for those who are sick. I didn't come for those who, who are righteous, I came for sinners. This, like, it's important to know who we are and who we're not if we're going to meet God in a very real way. So are you sick? Are you a sinner? Guess what? The good news is that the gospel is available to you. That Jesus Christ has come for you, has come for us. And in our honesty of naming our sickness, our sin, that we will discover afresh the grace of God. Now here's another limitation, is intellectual limitations. I don't know if you know this, but I don't know everything. Um, and the thing about being a, a person who's, who's created is that I can't know everything. You can't know everything. So why is it that we interact with one another as if we do? How, why does so much of our speech actually come from a place of, of superiority or that we have it all together, and we know everything that's possible to know about every certain subject. But the thing about being a created being is I can't know everything about anything. And here's the beauty of that. The beauty of being intellectually limited is that I need all of you. I need your voices. I need your understanding of things. I need your interpretations. I need, I need your convictions and your beliefs. 
Because truth be told, I'm limited in all of that. And we as a community are limited in all of that. One of the things that's been named about us is that we are theologically diverse. And in the assessment that we took as a church, it said that that's one of the most beautiful, incredible things about this community and also one of the things that's going to be hardest for us to figure out. Because when you're in a theologically diverse community, all of a sudden, things are at odds and it's totally messy. And does it feel messy? It absolutely does. But I think intellectual limitations, and even our spiritual limitations, connect so deeply to this. Because if I can't know everything, and you can't know everything, then perhaps we can actually start talking on this base level of humility. Talking on this base level of, huh, of learning, of curiosity, of asking questions. I mean, I wonder what God might do with us as a community if we are a people who's marked or who owns our intellectual limitations and who's marked by the humility to actually engage conversations. I mean, I wonder, I wonder how much salt we might be to a world that's so bent on just dividing and creating tribes because you want the people who agree with you to be in this place and you want to be talking against those people who are in this own, their own little huddle saying the opposite things. Is it possible, is it possible that we can be united by the blood of Jesus, by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, over and above my own certainty about certain things? I mean, is it possible that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus transcends any of that? I mean, I wonder, I wonder if we recognized our inability to know everything about anything, if we might actually discover how to be in relationship to one another in a new, in a different, and in a fresh way. I mean, I really look forward to that. Because I think this is, a, this is a key point for us, to discover how is it that we can be together, how is it that we can talk when the person sitting across from me totally disagrees with me, am I going to dismiss or am I going to just reject that person? Or am I going to engage and ask questions and actually maybe trust that a person's convictions or beliefs is connected to something in their heart and that I get to discover more about a person by hearing where they are, what they're thinking about, and what they're struggling through. My, my sense is that we're in a community, we're not, not even, sorry, my sense is we're in a place in our culture where nobody actually wants to say what they think because they don't want to be rejected. So how is it that we're ever going to change or grow or be different if I can't even share with you what's going on for fear of you rejecting me? It seems like the gospel might create a space or trust or opportunity for us, in our humility, to be people who are able to have a conversation and to listen to one another and to see what God might do with that. I'm really curious. I'm so curious to see how God might use that in our community to help these things 
become a reality. But I think we need to own, I need to own my intellectual limitations. There's a, I have a great friend on staff, and he and I talk, and we don't agree on a lot of things. But I love the guy, and I think he loves me too. Um, but the cool thing is we, all, when we get into these conversations, and, and they seem like, I don't know where this is going, and, and I know that I'm kind of freaking him out, and sometimes he freaks me out. And then, but we get to this place where, where at the end of the day, I know that he wants to love God and love others. And I trust that he thinks I want to love God and love others too. And I think we need to learn together how to be able to talk well. And I think this is a place, our, owning our intellectual limitations might be a way for us to at least engage some of these conversations um, that we find ourselves in. So finally, our, uh, this is one thing I'm learning, is that I'm emotionally limited. And here's what I mean by that. I can't make myself feel differently. Um, but I try a lot to. Or at least I try to um, let people think that I feel differently than I do. Uh, and, and I don't know if this is true for you. And people who are friends with me, you know this about me. Um, and I'm sure it's absolutely frustrating. Uh, because you will say, how are you doing? Right? And I'll say, yeah, I think I'm fine. And then... Um, it, but they know that I'm not, or they know that, that there's something underneath, and I don't give them much, partly because I don't feel the freedom in myself to be a person who's limited emotionally, in that I feel like I need to be in a, a different place or a different way um, than, than perhaps where I'm at. Uh, and what this does, or at least what, this, what I've discovered this does for me, um, is that I then close off the possibility of feeling loved by those people. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. Like, if I can't be honest about who I am and where I'm at, if I can't be honest about the ways that, that it's just, it, it, things are, like, I feel whatever the negative feelings that I have a hard time experiencing, right, like sadness or, or being overwhelmed, anxious, whatever it is, and, and, I'm, and I know some of you feel that way. If I can't be honest about those things, then there's no opportunity for anybody to love me where I'm at. And so I begin to feel unloved, or I begin to feel alone. Now, why I think this is so important for us as a family is because if we are going to be a community of people gathered around Christ who knows one another, we need to be, we need to be able to be open about where we are. We need to be able to share honestly about what God is doing or what we feel he's not doing or our experience of life. And as we look down to joy... I think so much of joy and the experience of joy is connected to our being in a place where we can be honest about what's going on. You know, it says in 1 John that perfect love casts out fear. The love of God casts out fear. And I know, or I've been, I feel like God has been really convicting me, that I don't let God's love cast out that fear because often I'm not honest about what that fear is or I'm not honest with God about that fear. There's so much of our life together that's, that's predicated upon our ability to be with one another where we are. And that's in our spiritual limitations, in our intellectual limitations, in our emotional 
limitations. Now, I, I have, I imagine that God is going to do something wonderful. Sorry. I, am, I know that God is doing something wonderful. It's so easy to just live beyond that, right? I imagine that God is doing something wonderful, and he will continue to do that. And he, that he, he has things for us to do. And I think we find ourselves in a place where we are like looking toward that and who we want to become. And as we think about being people marked by humility, trust, hope, and joy, I really believe that these are the postures beginning with humility, where God will do that work because we're open to it in a new and fresh way. There's an opportunity coming up to be prayed for if you'd like that. And and I'm going to actually call the prayer team to the sides right now. And we try to create space in, in our service for you to encounter the work of God in your life, specifically through prayer. And I think this is a way God wants to love you, is by having people pray with you and for you. And so I encourage you to take advantage of this. And so maybe here's a way of thinking about how to enter into that time. I ask the question, like, how might God might want to meet you in your limitations? Well, where are you feeling like at the end of yourself? What do you feel like you need to surrender to God? Take that to people who want to pray with you who want to pray for you. I'm going to read from Colossians 1, 9 through 14, and this is a prayer that, that Paul reads. And I'm going to say this as a blessing to us. And one of my favorite things about Paul's prayers is that he prays for things that we just think, like, we can make ourselves think or believe. But then when you read it in a prayer, you realize and discover it's only the work of God who's going to do any of this. Like, it's only the work of God who's going to, to help us be people marked by humility, trust, hope, and joy. I can't just be more humble. I can't just trust more. I don't know how to have more hope. And I don't know how to be joyful. But by the Spirit of God and His activity in my life, perhaps these are things that He can produce in us by the power of Jesus. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thanks be to God.